This morning's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 to 30, and verses 36 to 43. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Verse 36. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. This is the word of the Lord. If if you're new or visiting Metro Presbyterian Church this morning, we've been walking through for the past, over a month now, the parables of Jesus Christ. Jesus is a very interesting teacher. His teaching is dominated by pictures and illustrations. In fact, the word parable itself, the very word, comes from the Greek word parabola, which means to compare. So parables are are metaphors. You know, this means this. That's what Jesus is saying, right? Parables are concrete depictions of truth through illustrations and pictures. Because what Jesus is doing is he's taking something very abstract and he's making it easy to grasp, easy to understand. For the hearer in Jesus' time and for us today. And usually there is this ironic twist in the parable that shocked the listeners back then. And if you really understand what Jesus is saying, it would shock your understanding as well. And it would amaze us. Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 to 30. This parable is a concrete illustration. Uh, that's the illustration. Verses 36 to 43 is Jesus' teaching. It's his explanation in a very concrete way. So you have the concrete illustration that they understood in their day, and then verses 36 to 43, Jesus' explanation in a very concrete way. And there's, there's three features to this. Don't be confused with the three points. It's, uh, three features to this, right? Um, we have first the work of the farmer. We're going to kind of retalk, walk this parable through. There's the work of the farmer. He sows the wheat, He sows good seed, and the crops begin to grow. And then the second feature is you have this work of the enemy. He comes in, and he sows in the same place. And it's like a counter crop. Back then, it's an agrarian culture. They all understood when Jesus was talking about the weeds, he was talking about a particular type of weed called zizania. Zizania 
is a, a weed that looked just like wheat. In fact, it's a degenerate, a mutant form of wheat that grew along with the wheat, neighbored along with the wheat, grew together, sucked up all the nutrients and the benefits of the good soil and the water so that ultimately it would deprive in many ways the wheat itself. They would grow together. It would look just like wheat, but when the harvest would come and they would start to shear the wheat, there was nothing inside. It would just suck up the nutrients and it would stunt the growth of the crop. That's what it was. So that's the second feature. The third feature, then you see the patience of the farmer. The people say, what do we do about this? Verses 29 to 30, what do we do about this? And the farmer says, be patient. Right now, it's hard to tell the difference between the two. Right now, um, things are confused. It's very difficult to discern. Eventually, there's going to be a time where the farmer will judge. And you're going to be able to tell what the wheat is and what the weeds are. And the weeds are going to be burnt up in the fire and the wheat's going to be gathered up, brought in. Right now, the wheat feels like it's getting less. Right now, the wheat feels like it's being beaten up. It's, being, it's, being, uh, it's got less benefits, less nutrients. It's soaking up a lot less, but just wait. Just be patient because the time is coming. Now, what does this mean? That latter portion that we read today, Jesus is talking and explaining it to his disciples. So we see that Jesus is talking really about two things, but it's going to result in three points. Three points. The first is there are two kingdoms. There are two kingdoms, two crops, two orders of reality, two ways of viewing the world, and they're always at it with each other. They're always vying against each other. The second thing is there's nothing more important in life than to know the difference between those two kingdoms. We need to know the difference between the wheat and the weeds, and it's very important to understand where you stand between the wheat and the weeds. And then the third, we need that wisdom. How do you discern? What are the lens through which we can discern so we know where we belong? So first, we're going to go into um, the two kingdoms, uh, the wheat and the weeds. The reason that Jesus tells this parable is because he's trying to tell us, he's trying to tell his people about the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? When he's preaching, just to kind of establish some context here, Israel was under a yoke of oppression, under a foreign power. So at one time, they were politically independent. At one time, they were financially, economically independent. At one time, Israel was self-sufficient, but now they've just become a mere colony. And they've had all the hurts and all the pains and all the fears and all the oppressions of being just a colony. No longer are they self-sufficient. All their capital is literally taken away when they were taken over, when they were subsumed by this foreign power. So they lacked the politics, the economy, the social freedom that they once had. And so the people of Israel, they gather and they would pray. And they would pray for a redeemer. That God would send a redeemer to overthrow this foreign power, Rome, over them. And over the years, there were lots of fake messiahs, faux messiahs that would come. They would claim to be the messiah, but ultimately they would fail. They would be martyred and there would be no more. And then Jesus came. Jesus arrived. Here's this person with enormous charisma, an incredible knowledge of the scriptures as a teacher. He, had, he, he performed tremendous miracles, not just among a few people, but among hundreds of people, lots of miracles. And he spoke with authority. And his main message was this, 
The kingdom of God is at hand, and I'm here to bring it. A new administration is coming to replace the old administration. That's basically what he's saying. A new kingdom is coming to replace the old kingdom. And as a result, there was tremendous excitement, lots of excitement being brewed. But Jesus, to counter this excitement, you know, these teachings are very important to Jesus because what he's saying through these teachings is, he's, one, I am not a king like the one that you would expect, like one that you've been praying for in a sense. You're expecting me right now where you are, to get you out of this current mess that you're in, out of this current life that you're living. You want greater health. You want greater wealth. You want, uh, you, you want greater uh, success. You want a greater standard or quality of life. That's what you want. That's what you're expecting. You're expecting me to get you out of your current mess, politically or economically or socially. He says, my kingdom is so much more radical, so much more comprehensive than that. And it's not coming right now. It's not coming immediately. It's going to come incrementally. It's going to come gradually. So you have to be patient. That's what he's saying. In other words, Jesus completely contradicts the expectation of the people in his time. And he completely contradicts, at least I'm going to submit to you, that he completely contradicts our expectations of a Messiah in our time right now. That's what, that's what Jesus came to do. Our expectations of what... Uh, we want from God what we believe God is saying to us. Because what Jesus is saying is this, I want you to stop being so narrow. I want you to stop being so one-dimensional about your view of the world. I want you to stop reducing all the problems of the world to being just about politics or just about culture or just even about your physiology, you know, science, or just about your psychology or just about your, your, um, uh, your religion itself. The reason why there's so much misery in the world, right off the bat, Jesus says, is because the whole world, in its entirety, is broken. And at the very roots of this brokenness is an evil. At the very roots of our psyches, at the very roots of our society or psychology, physiology, reality itself, he says there's an evil. There's a cancer, and it's swallowing up reality. That's its intent, to swallow up our reality so that everything is disoriented, everything is in chaos, everything is uncertain, everything is dangerous, everything is broken. Jesus says, my administration, my kingdom is coming to wipe all of that out. A new power is coming. It's going to wipe out this power. A new administration is coming. It's going to swallow up the old administration, the old kingdom. But it's not going to happen all at once. Why do we know it's not going to happen all at once? Jesus compares this new kingdom like a farmer. He compares this new administration like farming. Farming takes time. Farmers know you don't just sow a crop. You don't just plant something and reap it the next day. You don't just do that. You have to be patient. And Jesus is saying, I plant. He says, the, the farmer is the son of God. He says, I plant the way a farmer plants. So if you've received the kingdom, if you've ever entered the kingdom, if you've become a son of the kingdom, the kingdom life actually enters into your life and as a result, you're becoming something new. And you have to be patient. You're becoming new. In fact, you become so new over time that the people called it a new birth. It's a new dimension of reality. Breaking up the old world becomes your new reality. You need to enter the kingdom. 
This kingdom reconstructs every single part of your life, meaning that if you have a kingdom, if you've entered into the kingdom, the way you think, the way you live, the way you feel about life, all of your values, the way you look at, the, at life itself, it all becomes revolutionized. It's been revolutionized by the knowledge of Jesus Christ that he died for you. That's what he's saying, that I'm going to pay the penalty of your sin and that this great God, this great God that we honor becomes your father and you're accepted. The Muslim faith, the Muslim Quran has 400 words pertaining to God. Not one of them look to God as father. Not one of those 400 words attributed to God refer to him as father. Jesus says the kingdom is here. The kingdom has come. If you've entered into the kingdom, God is your father and you are entirely accepted. That's what he's saying. But unt- and so until the kingdom of God comes into your life, you think, gosh, I need to try my best to become acceptable. And if you're thinking that way, there's no transformation in your life. There will be no transformation in your life. Externally, you may be changing, but there will be no inner transformation in your life. So when the kingdom of God comes, you realize, even at my best, when I'm at my best externally, I'm still a sinner in need of God's grace. So I live my life accepted on Christ's record, not mine. On Christ's merit, not mine. On Christ's righteousness, not mine. On Christ's worthiness. I'm not even worthy. It's based on Christ's worthiness, not mine. A Christian says the kingdom is here. The seeds have been planted. They're being sown. They just haven't been harvested. The work isn't finished. I need to be patient. So there's this intervening time between the sowing and the harvesting. Two ages. And in in this intervening time, this time in between, this old kingdom is still growing. This old kingdom is still there. It's still present. There's this counter-revolution by the enemy. So you have the kingdom that's growing. The farmer has sown his seed and the crops are growing. But the enemy then comes and he sows. The old kingdom is still present and and he's still sowing his seeds. And as a result, he brings in violence and he brings in hatred and there's pride and there's selfishness and self-absorption and there's anxiety. There's a whole lot of zizanias, these weeds that are growing, sown in that same particular area. And the result is this. If you're the son of the kingdom, you're going to live your life with plenty of warfare in your life. There's going to be plenty of warfare in your life. There's going to be lots of conflict in your life. If you're living with conflict, it could very well mean that you've entered into the kingdom because we live in a life where the weeds are just as rampant. The weeds are in the world. There's plenty of conflict in the world. Oftentimes, that means you're going to be confused. There's going to be ambiguity. There's going to be uncertainty. There's going to be lots of pain. There's going to be lots of suffering, lots of sorrow. Friends, a day is going to come when everything will one day be made clear. There's going to be absolute clarity in our lives. The confusion is going to be lifted away. Right now, there are clouds hanging over. But one day, the sun is going to come and break out all the clouds. And everything's going to be made clear. Jesus says, if you're in the kingdom, you're going to be taken into the house. The wheat will be taken into the house. The wheat will be gathered and restored to the farmer. But until then, there will be two crops. They'll be going against each other, living together, soaking up the nutrients at the same time. How do you discern between the two? That's the second point. How do you discern between the two? One, a Christian, the very 
essence of being a Christian is that you're making Jesus your king. A Christian is somebody that says to Jesus, because you saved me, because of what you've done on the cross for me, because you forgave me, because through you I'm now right with God, I'm going to be bent towards your will. I've been set free. I've been completely set free, which means I'm set free from any penalty. But, you know, I'm going to resist living my way. I've been set free to live just the way I want to live my life. You know, if you can't resist living the way you want to live your life, it could very well mean that you've never entered the kingdom. You could be a weed. It's a very frightening text if you think about it. You've been set free. You're resisting living. uh, I'm going to resist living my way. And why? Because God, Jesus himself has led me. My way, for instance, has led me to years and years of disintegration, alienation from others. My soul has deteriorated and corroded, but I've been set free. That's what a Christian says. I've been set free. I thought my way was going to increase my freedom and potential and options and joy, when in actuality, my way has decreased my freedom, decreased my, free, uh, my potential, decreased my options, decreased my joy. And, and as a result, I've been set free by the gospel. But I've been set free. And so now I get to live as I've been designed to live. I can resist living my way and I can obey Christ as king. Take a German sports car. Fine-tuned German sports car. The engine, if you turn the engine on, it hums. There's a very rhythmic hum, very, very powerful hum. You can feel and sense the power of a German sports car. When you rev it up, the engine just hums with precision. But now you open up the hood and you take a wrench and you throw it right into the engine. What happens? All this dissonance. Where there was coherence, there's now dissonance. Where there's integration, there's now disintegration. And so it still works. You rev up the engine, you can still go places, but now there's such brokenness. And you feel every part of that brokenness. Every time you rev up that engine, you feel the pain. You feel the sorrow. Jesus is saying, that is our lives. Every, we, are just, we are not living as we've been designed to live. But to enter into the kingdom is to say that I've been reintegrated. Jesus is making all things new. He's replacing the engine. And now I have a new engine. That engine has new power, new function. Where there was disintegration, now there's reintegration. There's integration again. Where there was incoherence, now coherence, clarity is entering again. And one day it will be done in full. Jesus says, behold, I am making all things new. A new life. A Christian says, a new life in Christ, I will do anything to know what you want. I will do anything to know your will. I want to live as I've been designed. And the way I know that is in the word. I want to live according to the word. To enter into the kingdom means that Jesus as king has complete authority, complete supremacy in every area of my life. To say anything less than that it's, it's to say that we are less than being in the kingdom. To say anything less than that is to say that we are less than being a Christian. Because a Christian says, I will obey. I'm going to obey the one who loves. I'm going to obey the one who forgives. I'm going to obey the one who is saved. But that means we need to be patient. Because that harvest is not reaped overnight. The farmer is incredibly patient. We need to be patient. We need to be patient to discern between the two. Wheat 
grows as it's designed. Weeds look like wheat, but it grows mutated against the design. You have your will mixed in, sometimes using the tenets of the wheat to justify the way you live, but most of the time, always, when you cut and when it's time for the harvest, there's nothing inside. There's no power. And if you have a stalk of wheat and you have a live plant and you cut, the live plant bleeds, believe it or not. I mean, it's not, it doesn't bleed the way you and I bleed, but it bleeds. But if you have a stalk that's empty, even if it looks like it's growing, when you cut it, there's nothing inside. There's no life. There's nothing there. And so that's what Jesus is saying here. We need to discern between the two. One looks like weed, but it's growing mutated against the sign. A Christian, for example, when you see success, when a Christian looks at success, a true Christian says, yes, I'm successful right now. But this is temporary. You know why? Because the enemy is always at work. The enemy is always at work. So a Christian, although he's incredibly successful, is incredibly humble because he realizes that it's all by grace. Even the common things that we all get to enjoy is all by grace. So there's this deep, resonant humility that undergirds our understanding. You know why? Because we understand the power of sin in our lives. It's there. The power of sin is present. It's all around. The brokenness is still all around. So we know that today, yes, I'm successful. Today, yes, I get to enjoy the fruits of all of this. But that's all by grace. I mean, how much of our intelligence is really earned? How much of your pedigree, your status is really earned? How much of your talents and your gifts are really earned? How much of your place today, a lot of it, if you've read Malcolm Gladwell in the book Outliers, you know that a lot of it is based on legacy. A lot of it is based on decisions that other people made before you were even born that set the course for the rest of your life. It's all by grace. How much of your looks has been earned? Well, nowadays, a lot of people can earn it, I suppose, but how much of your looks are really, really earned? It's all by grace. So a Christian understands that even their success, it's temporary. The enemy is still at work. There's a humility, a deeply resonant humility undergirding all of that. If Jesus is your king and you, and you are patient, Jesus is kingship and your patience, the two things are living side by side together, you're going to realize a very, very frightening fact that God opposes people who are planted, who look like wheat, who look like Christians. They're moral. They're decent. They're even, they even know how the bad people live. They're very, very clean. And they're very, very worshipful. They're very, very religious. They look like wheat, but in the end, they read all, you know, they read, I tell you, because I was a chief of these. I mean, they read all the right books. And they read them very, very early in their lives. So you know why? Because when you read it early, you can say, you can share with people all that they haven't read. You know, it's very, very easy. It gives you a, even that little bit of detail gives you a sense of worth about yourself. But there's nothing inside. There's no life-giving power. And so a Christian, or, or they, these look like weed, the weeds, but in the end, there's no grain inside. There's no power. There's no life inside. Jesus is saying through this text, this could be you. This could be us. That's what he's saying. One of the great things about this passage is that, incredibly frightening, 
What this means is that when you say, um, when he says that the enemy sows the weeds, these weeds look just like wheat until the very end. It means a lot of people in the church are duped into thinking that they're Christians when they're really not. Very, very clear in this text. That's what he's saying. That's got to frighten a lot of us. It's got to frighten all of us. It should frighten all of us. You're saying right now, you know, are you trying to scare me? Yeah, I'm trying to scare you. You know why? Because when somebody is in denial, what do you do? You've got to scare them, right? That's what you've got to do. You've got to grab them. You've got to scare them. We're living in denial. Jesus is saying this could be you. Almost everybody in this country, statistically, almost everybody in this country believes, thinks, a huge percentage at least, thinks that they're Christians. And what they're saying by that is that either A, maybe I attend church regularly, or maybe I don't attend church regularly, but I live decent, I've been baptized, I serve, I attend community group, read all the right books. Sometimes I feel very worshipful, I feel very renewed at times, but there's nothing inside. I still live. Like the poem Invictus, I'm the master of my fate, I am the captain of my soul. I'm still pursuing empty hopes, I've still clung to empty dreams, There's nothing inside, nothing that's powering me that's going to last into eternity. There's no grain. Jesus says, look at the difference between the wheat and the weeds. In this field that we call the earth, look at the difference between the wheat and the weeds. We need to know where exactly we stand here. Real Christians are sons of God. Real Christians are sons of the kingdom. It means they've been planted and they view their life, everything about their lives is a miracle. Trust me, at this stage of my life, if you've been residing anywhere close to me, you would understand, I know at the least, all of life, all of birth is a miracle. Every birth is a miracle. Every growth is a miracle. It's why God used the, Jesus sitting with Nicodemus says, you need to be born again. He says a miracle has to happen in your life. He's describing what it means to be a Christian. You know, why does he say you need to be planted? He's saying you need to grow. You need to grow and experience life. He's using that metaphor to say that it's a miracle. You know why? Because a plant, what is the essence of being a plant? A plant relies completely on another power to power them for life and for growth. Another source of power, another work, because a plant, first of all, a plant can't even plant itself. It relies on someone else to plant it. Babies can't make themselves be born. They don't will to be born. Trust me, I know. They don't will to be born. Christians know that I may have worked really, really hard in the process of becoming a Christian, but once I become a Christian, once you become a Christian, you realize, you look back on your years, and you realize most of that, I've, I've been really foolish. Because I realized what it took was an, at, the, at the rate I was going, there's no way I would have believed. In fact, I can't believe I believe this now. A Christian says, looking back, it had to take another power on the outside, an alien power, an alien righteousness to come and pull me out to believe what I'm believing. An outside power had to come to deal with me at my core. I'm so rooted. I'm so planted like a weed. It's rooted and the roots are so deep that it takes another power to uproot that. That's what it takes. A Christian is someone who realizes that my eyes have been opened and somebody else opened my eyes. Somebody else has been leading me. Somebody else has been guiding me. Somebody else has been guiding me through my struggles, through my brokenness. It means that if you think Christianity is just a matter of self-improvement, if you're here to just improve your life, you know, to help you make better decisions in life, to help you clean up your act, 
something that you do. I need to get doing something. Then you must have never sensed the power of God coming in. Jesus doesn't say, you know, there's going to be a little bit of a pinprick of power. He says the kingdom is coming. The kingdom has come. The full force of the glory and the majesty and the power of God has come. That's what he says. And when he does that, he's going to show you things you've never seen, you never could see about yourself through your lens, through the lens of your own eyes. It's going to transform, just radically transform your life. He's going to literally remake all of you. Unless you've experienced that, you don't really understand what Christianity is. Every Christian is somebody who knows I'm a miracle. I am a miracle. God's power had come from the outside and had to just transform me. The miracle, the ultimate miracle of the gospel, Jesus on the cross, suffering and dying for me, that power had to come in to radically change me. I can't even believe what I believe right now. You know, there's a story, an anecdotal story about C. Everett Koop. You know what C. Everett Koop is? He was the Surgeon General of, under President Reagan's administration. But he, had his, he earned his stars here in Philadelphia. He attended the University of Pennsylvania Medical School. Basically, um, I believe he was the uh, chief of medicine at CHOP at one point, Children's Hospital in Philadelphia. A brilliant man, and uh, he wasn't a believer, but he had fallen in love with a woman who was a believer. And he persistently was asking her out on a date. She kept refusing. She said, you are not a believer. I can't, I, I don't even, I can't even know you in that way. And so he says, what does, what does this mean? You know, I'm an intelligent man. I can't believe this stuff. But what he did was he started just to be with her. She says, but you can come to church with me. She was doing missions dating, you know, something like that, right? You can come to church with me. And so uh, they, go to, they go to church together, and he, he attended 10th Presbyterian Church. Week in and week out, he's, ten, he's listening to James Montgomery Boyce preaching. And he said he would scoff out loud sometimes. He would come out of his mouth. He would be like, who believes in this crap? He used different words. But, you know, who who believes in this crap? Every every sermon he's listening to, who who can believe this? Several years later, very persistent man, attending this church with this woman, several years later, he's listening to a sermon. And next to him is this man muttering out of his words, who believes this crap? And he found himself getting angry. He's looking at the man, he's like, will you listen to what this guy is saying? And then he realized, what happened? When did I start to believe? It had to have taken a tremendous power to come in and change my entire worldview in life. That's the ever group. A Christian knows that could only be the power of God. Jesus is at work even now. So if you're discouraged right now, but you're here and you're listening and you'd be saying, who believes in this crap? You could be like the Evercoop tomorrow. That's what, he, that's what Jesus is saying. You need to be patient. You need to be patient. Behold, Jesus says, I am making all things new. What's the real difference between the wheat and the weeds? How do you know the difference? It's growth. In the end, a Christian knows. A Christian grows into the likeness of Christ. A counterfeit person, just a moral person, he's a weed, he will not grow. He will not grow. We're talking about growing. When you grow, this tremendous uh, dynamic 
a dynamic character that's taking place because a lot of chemical reactions are taking place in your body and it's powering and the engine is moving and what happens is it powers your growth and it becomes very, very visible over time. You may not see that in the process of your growth, but that's what's happening. Lots of dynamic power taking place on the inside. When the kingdom enters in, dynamic power has entered in. The Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is now residing in you and it's working. He's working and he's changing you. And you may not see that. You may be discouraged by that, but that actually may be a greater sign of the kingdom entering your life because you would not even see that. You would not even be discouraged about your lack of growth unless the Spirit was opening his eyes to you. Do you see that? A Christian is somebody over time then who grows more content with God as the years go by. A non-Christian, a counterfeit Christian, he looks content. He may look really content, but what he's really content with is I have God and my health. I have God and my looks. I have God and a good figure. I have God and a good job. I have God and success. I have God and a good marriage. I have God and beautiful children. I have God and a popularity. I have God and, you know, promotions. I have God and lots of money. I have God and the realization of many of my earthly dreams. And the moment those things start to crash, where is God? You don't say that up front. You say that decades later. Because just like growth is gradual and incremental, bitterness sometimes is like a pickaxe, but could be gradual and incremental. A Christian is someone who gradually, no matter how dark life can be, grows more content. The Apostle Paul, if you've ever read Philippians, the book of Philippians is in the New Testament. It's one of the epistles, one of the letters that Paul wrote to the church. He writes at the tail end of that because that entire book is a treatise on joy. It's about joy, what it means to have joy. And at the end of that book, he says, I've learned to be content in all things. That's an amazing thing for someone like Paul to say. You know why? Because Paul grew up very, very moral. One of the most bright, you know, Time Magazine listed him as one of the top five most, top five most influential people in world history. That is a distinction. Incredibly intelligent, incredibly brilliant, moral, decent. He had the pedigree. He had the status. And yet he grew more and more self-righteous as a result, more and more judgmental, more and more self-justifying, and that made him angry. So angry that when a group of people emerged, Jews who became converts to Christianity, he became murderous about them. So angry, he became murderous. But upon encountering Jesus, he was transformed. And Philippians is one of tail ends, one of the markers, one of the bookends of his life in writing. He learned to be content. The growing contentment with God when other things in life used, you know, there are other things in your life that you used to rely on, even when they're gone, evermore you grow content. A Christian also goes in humility. Humility and joy at the same time. How's that possible? Why? God really wants you to hear this. Uh, Why? Far more aware. You're far more aware of your faults than ever before. Far more aware of your weaknesses. 
far more aware of your brokenness, far more aware of your sins than ever before, than you ever felt comfortable even admitting at one point in your life. And yet there's joy, tremendous joy. Why? Because you feel more loved by the Father, by God himself than ever before in your life. And that creates a tremendously new center because the ego gets crushed. You know, a lot of things in the world can increase the ego, but the ego gets crushed when you see who you really are. And that develops a new center, a center built around the joy, the foundations of who, what Jesus did for you, that the most high God would think of you and love you. And he says, I'm not finished with you. I'm still working in you. I'm still working on you. How does someone, here's the, we're going to go right into the third point. How does someone like the Apostle Paul become content even in the midst of loss, even in hardship? He points to Christ. Jesus, the true son of the kingdom. You want prosperity? Jesus had prosperity. You want health? Jesus was everlasting. You want status? He was the prince, the heir to the kingdom. He had acceptance. He had access to God, intimacy with God, the righteousness of God, the power of God. Jesus had all that. But the same very book, Philippians. Philippians says he emptied himself of all those things. Philippians chapter 2, the very book that the Apostle Paul writes about contentment, Philippians chapter 2 writes, he says that Jesus lost everything, emptied himself according to his own will, poured himself out. In other words, he had life. He had growth, all wisdom. And, and you know, life and birth, amazing, right? It's a miracle. Jesus, the, here's the most amazing truth, the creator himself, the most powerful king in all the world, the sustainer of the universe, became a baby, became weak, became vulnerable, became powerless. And he sacrificed all power, and he sacrificed all wealth, and he sacrificed his status. On the cross, he was stripped of everything. He was stripped completely of everything, including the love of the Father when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he's saying is, I've been forsaken, I've been left for dead, I'm left to be burned up. He says, I thirst, I'm burning up inside. I'm experiencing hell. In other words, what he's saying, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, explains it. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, Jesus became the weed. He became so empty. He says, I thirst. There was nothing inside of me. The one thing, my source of life, my source of joy, my source of contentment, my source of righteousness, gone. He became sin, emptied. There was nothing inside, nothing inside. And he says, I thirst. It was a cosmic thirst. I'm thirsting for the Father. I've been separated completely from the Father. That means I'm in hell. I'm experiencing hell on the cross. He became so empty, he became a weed, and he's burning up. Why? My favorite hymn. He emptied himself of all but love and he bled for Adam's helpless race because of his love, his love for you, his love for me so that we could be gathered up by the Father in our weakness, in our brokenness, in our sin. We could be gathered up by the Father. Jesus was forsaken by the Father. 
We could be accepted. Jesus was disowned. We become sons of the kingdom. Jesus was disowned by the Father. Do you see that? Does that move you? I mean, when the gospel hasn't taken hold in your life, when you don't see yourself as a son of the kingdom, when Jesus is not your king, you're not going to have patience in your life. You're not going to have patience towards other people. You're not going to have patience towards yourself. And you're not going to have the wisdom to discern where you stand. You're not going to have the wisdom. You're constantly going to be conflicted in this world, sitting between the weeds and the wheat, and you're going to vie towards what you desire, what you pursue, what you want, what you crave, what you value. Do you see that? Either you're going to judge others because you're impatient. You're all going to be, and religious people are so impatient and so judging. But irreligious people are just as impatient, just as judging. We're going to be so impatient, and there's going to be no joy. You're going to be so angry. And there's going to be no love, no real love, no genuine love that just pours out to other people. Or you're going to become incredibly passive. You're going to be incredibly cynical because you don't see hope. You don't see the victory. You don't see the, bro- all you see is the brokenness. You don't have any power. So you're going to this life. So on one hand, you're going to be incredibly angry. On the other hand, you're going to be incredibly passive without any hope, without any power. Jesus says, I have triumphed over the grave through weakness. I have triumphed over the grave. I had to die. I had to become utterly weak. I had to become utterly defeated. And through that, I was lifted up and exalted and I found new life. And it's that power that you can have in you. Do you have that in you? Have you entered into the kingdom? Have you entered in? You're saying, oh, but I'm so broken. I'm I'm so broken. You know what? Even through your cynicism, even through your skepticism, even through your brokenness and your suffering, if God, through Jesus' weakness and brokenness, redeemed the entirety of the world, surely he can work through your brokenness. Surely he can do that. Do you believe that? Do you feel empty? Do you feel incredibly empty? You know, like, like I'm a weed? That's what you're saying. I'm like a weed. I have nothing inside of me. Nothing to give. I have nothing. You can be gathered like wheat if you submit to the cross. You're going to have to empty yourself in many ways. Empty yourself all the more of even that and submit to the cross. The person of Christ, who he is. Look at his character. Look at his compassion. Look at his grace. Look at his love. Submit to the love of Christ. Submit to the work of Christ. Look at what he did for you. And you will experience greater love, greater power, greater hope. And you will have wisdom, greater wisdom. You're going to know now that it's not based on anything that you've done, but what Christ has done. It's not based on your character, but Christ's character and his righteousness and his goodness and his faithfulness, you will know where you stand. It's going to make you humble. It's going to make you incredibly confident. It's going to give you a a very, very realistic view of yourself and the world. And that is wisdom. Do you want it? Do you have it? Let's pray.